Hi everyone, this is the Love Your Career podcast. I'm Lauren Severus, CEO of Love Recruitment and Love Care Recruitment. And the aim of this podcast is simple. We want to give you the best advice from industry professionals to help you grow and love your career. We want companies to be able to take guidance on improving their recruitment process and for individuals to pick up knowledge, hints, tips of how to progress their career. We do this by letting our guests tell their stories. Thank you for listening. Truly, we hope you learn to love your career. Welcome to the Love Your Career podcast. Today's guest is Suzanne Gav. I'm incredibly excited to have her on as a guest. I've known Suzanne a long time. It's a really great episode. She talks about her journey and experiences, and it's a really, really good listen. She's currently the COO for Good Boost, which is an amazing organization. But I've known Suzanne a long time. Previous to that, she worked for Parkour Leisure, and previous to that, Fit for Sport was where I first came across her expertise. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. Welcome to the Love Your Career podcast. Today's guest is Suzanne Gab, COO for Good Boost. I love doing these intros um, because I get to say something about the person sat in front of me, and often, often I know them pretty, pretty damn well. And I, I start off by simply saying I love our chat. Um, I love catching up with you all the events we always catch up at. Um, I love your energy, I love your passion, I love your intelligence, and the relationship-centered approach that you clearly have, I think it's always kind of brought us together. I always ask a question in this podcast, is when you see lots of people at different events, you gravitate to people. We always seem to gravitate to yeah. each other at events, and I think we've always we've had a, a really lovely relationship over the years. Started from me recruiting for you, um, and obviously then with that, that relationship has maintained ever since. You've also always been kind enough to give us really good feedback when I recruited for you, but also more more recent times as a, as a friend, giving me feedback on things like this podcast. Um, you gave me some great feedback on it recently, so thank you so much. You've had a great career, and there's so many lessons in there. I know it because you told me them over the years, so I can't wait for them to come out naturally in the conversation today. Is that okay? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was a great introduction. So we'll start with the same question we always start with. Firstly, thank you for coming in. If you love your career podcast, have you loved your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a real center actually in my life is my career. Would you mind taking us through that long windy journey? Yeah, so um, I started working quite early, um, lax laws in Canada. So at the age of 14. <laughs> 14. <laughs> 14. That's one of the so far. 14, you can become a, a soccer or football ref. And so that's what I started doing. I started refing children's soccer and then doing linesmen's. You could do linesmen's up to your own age. And so my career started off in wow. sports um, at the age of 14. And then when I became 16, I started taking on coaching certifications. Um, and so started off doing kind of swim instructing and lifeguarding, uh, which I had no idea at the age of 16 would end up following me all the way through my career. Indeed it has. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I did soccer coaching and would volunteer to do soccer coaching for under fives or for a local middle school. Yeah. Um, and then eventually uh, really enjoy work and so then ended up working in retail a little bit through high school 
And then after graduation, I moved to Hong Kong and uh, worked as a model among other things. And some of the other things that I worked up is I picked up additional work as a gymnastics coach for an organization called The Little Gym, which is a franchise base uh, model, actually who I think you guys work with. <laughs> so, <laughs> I worked with uh, The Little Gym in Asia and they were the first ones there. And um, uh, because it's franchise-based model and they didn't really have much head office support because the head office was established in the United States, um, the way that I was, the, the guy was like, oh, I think you could do marketing. So then I picked up marketing without knowing anything at the age of 18. Never of doing course business you must before. never marketing at the age like, of 18. <laughs> I, I, I actually remember picking up Marketing for Dummies book and I read the Marketing for Dummies book to try and understand what it was to do. I think we bought the equivalent when we started the business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then like picking up cross marketing was my favorite word. And but through that cross marketing, it was really about developing partnerships, understanding what was important to other organizations and what we had to offer and how we could align those things up. And Amazing. I just naturally gravitated towards that ended up getting like really random meetings so there's 18 year old me within the small franchise meeting with like CEOs of Nike and like and like Toys R Us and like wow. all these like random Hong Kong situated individuals so not quite sure how I got the meetings but somehow persevered through. you're in the room <laughs> I was in the room yeah and then um <clears throat> After I kind of, things dwindled down in Hong Kong and I was ready to go, um, uh, I moved back to Canada and then started lifeguarding again and teaching swim instructing. And then I picked up another qualification, which was an adaptive ski and snowboard in, um, nice. instructor. Um, and that was originally just to get the free seasons pass, but fell absolutely in love with that role because that role was to teach people with severe mental disabilities how to ski and snowboard and so that included non-verbal autism that included uh, down syndrome that included all sorts of different individuals and you couldn't take the way that you would teach maybe um, a mainstream class you had to adapt the way that you taught to every single individual person which I've continued to use throughout my career and in, in, in the ways that I communicate Absolutely. so so then after that I thought uh, well clearly I'm teaching everyone so I want to be a teacher so I went to university and started to do teaching and the only bit I liked was the sports side of it completely pulled myself out of sports and then uh, in in Canada we have something called uh, you you do a, a minor a major or you can do a double major. So I did a double major in, in uh, kinesiology, which is I think more like sports science here, um, and business with a thread of recreational management. Okay. So then I went off to Australia to do a bit of travel study over there and then set up uh, in their ski hills, which Australia does has ski hills, which is hard to believe, um, an adaptive program for children there. Um, and then ended up meeting my husband and moving over here. Um, and then at that point, I kind of took a, years, a couple of years off to have a kid and then started to look at where I wanted to go. And I think along this journey, there has been a lot of confusion at times about where I wanted to take mm -hmm. the direction of my career. 
um, and saw an advertisement for us to become a camp manager. And I thought, oh, I, I can do that. I'd, I'd done Camp America and other things. And um, met Craig Jones, <laughs> the, legend. <laughs> the legend, and and ended up going into uh, the regional manager role at Fit for Sport, which is where we met. Indeed. Um, so after that, uh, I I kind of ended up uh, finding a post for a national swim manager role, uh, which was Parkwood, and I remember so distinctly um, seeing this role because I was actually in Canada literally in the middle of nowhere on a boat <laughs> having a bit of a life crisis being like i need to i need to find a new job i need to i need to go into this because uh, and um figure out what i'm going to do in my life and uh read through the job description and went oh my god i think this is my career like this is my dream job um and uh so applied and and flew back from canada early to make the interview, which Cute. I think yeah, went to the interview more jet lag than I've ever been in my life. And actually at one point I really thought that I crashed this interview because it was just wasn't myself. I was struggling to answer the questions because I was also falling asleep. <laughs> um, and but I think that they thought the the level of dedication that I had to the role and the fact that I was more honest in that interview than I've ever been in an interview in my life um, and and they gave me the role and I was there for up until one year ago last year and then joined Good Boost as the director of partnership and delivery and then moved into the C-suite. Can you tell us a bit more about Good Boost because it's a wonderful organisation. Yeah. Can you us a bit more about Yeah, it? of course. So Good Boost has been around for about five years. It started off as our CEO's uh, PhD dissertation um, to bring hydrotherapy exercise into local leisure centers. Um, he then took the company, was asked to take the company um, uh, into a social enterprise or private um, to, to, see, to see it go off. So I met Ben through a national uh, aquatics forum about four years ago, uh, right when he got going. And because of my background in sports science, I just immediately understood what he was doing. Um, and so what Good Boost does is we create rehabilitation programs for individuals who suffer from muscular skeletal condition through artificial intelligence. So every individual, every participant will go into their leisure center, they'll be given one of our tablets, they'll fill out a health questionnaire, um, which goes into other conditions and then goes into detail around their uh, MSK condition. Um, and then creates a program bespoke for them and then it adapts to them as they progress through the program. So many questions. <laughs> uh, first things first, thank you for giving that, giving that overview for I've obviously looked into it after, after you joined them and they're a wonderful organisation. Yeah. And they do so much good work. What I'm really struck by is, I, know, I feel like I know you so well, but I'm learning more about you already. <laughs> it's the, so, I know it's not, it's clearly not, but it's yeah. almost by design your career makes when you when you zoom out from it, it makes well, of course, makes absolutely perfect sense. All that sport, um, the coaching, the swimming, the lifeguarding, the instructing, the SEN stuff, obviously helping children with it. All that ties in with almost every job you ever had. Jag with the sports coaching, obviously Parkwood with the swim. It's almost like you've designed this career perfectly. Okay. It doesn't work like that, does it? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It does get weirder because when I was in Hong Kong, <laughs> I was also a fit model, and a fit model is someone who tries on clothes for suppliers and then they purchase them or or 
uh, they'll see what the fit is. And I had a real surreal moment in Parkwood. I used to assist with our, our head of retail in purchasing the Zogs bathing suits. And I remember sitting in this conference room and watching a fit model come in through the room. And I definitely remember being that fit model and being like, I wonder how I get to that side of the table in the time, in the moment. Wow. And it was such a surreal moment that I was like, how, how am I here? Like I'm in charge of aquatics. How am I helping buy retail at this moment in Love time? That. So, so I think it's spotting opportunities is maybe one of the, the, the big things, um, that, that it's that underlying spotting the opportunities in order to follow on where you're going to go next. And it's taking out those threads within those job descriptions and identifying this job may seem a bit random over here, but actually I think I've got those skills. So, so putting, changing that and putting it into the new job in order to move forward. Absolutely, you led me perfectly onto the question I was just about to ask you about your decision-making process. Often at this point I ask people, what is your best career decision, but you've had a series of them. So what's more interesting to me, if that's okay, is understand your decision-making process. Yeah. How do you spot those opportunities? What's, what is the process? So I think it's evolved over time. I think that there was some falling up that was happening. But I think that when I decided to get really serious about my career and I thought like, I, I, I've known for a long time that I wanted to make it to a C-suite level. I, I, I do enjoy leadership roles. I do enjoy strategy. I enjoy decision making. So uh, when I knew that I wanted that role, I very creepily went on LinkedIn <laughs> and I found people with jobs that I wanted. And then I looked back and LinkedIn's amazing because LinkedIn is like people's CVs are open to the world. And then I looked back and went, okay, that's where I wanna be, but what is the steps that they took in order to do that? And, and I did that for various people. And so, you know, one thing that I knew in order to get that level, I needed to be on a board. And, and so I looked around and ended up going for the Royal Life Saving Society. I was a trustee on their board for about three, three years. I did a term with them to give myself that um, exposure. exposure and, and also education, mm. education on how, how a board works. What does it look like when you are very much just offering advice in that leadership role? So um, I did that and, and definitely I know those things led to kind of the job that I'm in now. Love it. Has that was that a one-off in terms of looking at where you wanted to be in LinkedIn and then tracking back, or was it almost kind of a constant thing? Not constant thing, but I think it's. Um, so I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm not doing that now. At this moment in time, um, you know, I've I've segued over from leisure operations, which, to be fair, the major, vast majority of my career has been leisure operations, or or even with Fit for Sport, it's it's kind of sideline leisure operations, isn't it? Um, where I've now moved over into tech. And, and this is, it is leisure adjacent again, but it is a completely new beast. So my, my, my role right now is, is I'm not currently looking at how do I take my next step? I'm, I'm currently looking at how do I do my job really well? <laughs> yeah. I asked this question this way early on. I've completely forgot I used to ask it this way, but it's just come back to me. What's your secret source? What's the secret source of your development? What's, what's been behind? Because yeah. not, it's not just the positions you've done, it's the speed of which you've gone through those positions. I hope you don't mind saying, it's no. magnificent. Um, how, what's your secret sauce? So um, there is some reasons behind the speed, but I guess this, the secret that I have is um, saying yes, not too much, 
it's too much. Uh, but <laughs> taking taking out those opportunities within your role. And I think that sometimes, um, and I've seen this on, uh, you know, my Instagram feed is full of like HR advice and, you know, the bizarre business things that I see. Um, but I think that kind of the, gen the, the generation that's coming up and the generation that is now, sometimes they are hesitant to take on more responsibility without financial pay. I don't view it that way. I actually view it as every new responsibility that comes my way, it's an education. I'm getting an opportunity to be able to explore and build my skill development. And even though it may not pay me now, in the long run, it's absolutely gonna pay me. It's gonna look great for my next job, but um, at this moment in time, I'm just gonna take it on. And I think that has been great success because what happened was is the more that you take on and the more that you prove that you can do, you get more responsibilities within that um, job. And then, and then later on, you can go into your PDRs and renegotiate pay and that kind of stuff. That comes later. But it's, it's, not, it's not that I'm doing this immediately, so now pay me more. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, one of the things I love most about doing, doing this is obviously chatting to re, really smart, really intelligent people, really good at what they do. But often it's the common themes. Um, Chloe mentioned it in her podcast about almost doing that next job, yeah. uh, doing that a bit more to be able to show the fact that you can do it more. David Monkhouse said in his about volunteering, but not volunteering people know it to be, as mm -hmm. in, yes, I'll do it. Put your hand up and say, I'll yeah. do it, because you get exposed to more things, you get trusted in more things, you're seen as being proactive. Also, sometimes it's a bit of a free hit. Yeah. You, you're not expected to be brilliant at everything all the time, so you get to, yeah. if you fail out, it doesn't really matter. It yeah. does, but you know what I mean? It's, and it's just the importance of doing something like that great people constantly sat in that chair saying things like that there's a lesson there for everybody mm -hmm. about just going above and beyond and doing more i did it on, on mm -hmm. my way up as well but I, I also think on that it's it's those both those people that you've mentioned i know and yeah. and um and it's their their ability that feeds into their ability to network because the more responsibilities they take on, the more exposures that they get. And so working at Parkwood, it's a master's organization, but the more departments that needed things done within my department, but, but more department aligned that needed support with things, I would be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it because it gave me more exposure within the organization and, and you get to know more people. Yeah. I love how David said he, he didn't drink coffee until he started work. He started drinking coffee, he realized that was a great way to have more conversations. That was really great bit of advice just there. Um, in terms of your question, a, a common question I ask all the time that I really like is someone's why. Why do they do what they do? You're an incredibly motivated and driven individual. What, what's your why? So I've been really fortunate in the career that I've had that, um, so I want to be clear that my why was never, I want to be a CEO or I want to be a COO. So, Every job that I've had, I've been able to find the good in that job. What is the reasons that, why am I sport, teaching sports to kids? Why, why am I in my last job with aquatics? I'm so fundamentally passionate about water safety, about teaching children how to swim, about getting more people swimming, you know, with good boost. I'm so now passionate and about getting an older demographic more active, getting people to, and the testimonials of individuals who, you know, couldn't walk across a pool deck without a cane, three weeks time walking across a pool deck without a cane. Individuals who are incredibly isolated and feeling depressed, now, you know, feeling happier within their lives. 
it's finding those threads within my job, which has been pretty easy to do, <laughs> to be honest, that makes me want to continue and push harder within my job. Amazing. This episode is brought to you by Share the Love. For every placement we make, we plant 50 trees in the name of our recruitment partners. Share the Love was inspired by David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet, and thus far has seen us plant close to 20,000 trees, well on track for our 100,000 target. It's something we're incredibly passionate about. And if you'd like to find out more, you can visit either of our websites and find the Share the Love sections. Thanks very much. One, again, and really important in terms of building someone's career is people's influence over it. Who's had the biggest influence in your, in your career so far? I guess and why? Ooh, that's a hard question. I don't, think, I don't think that there's been one person that's had an influence on it. I think one of the things that I have done is I have been really fortunate to be report into some pretty amazing people. Um, and and work with some pretty amazing people and it's it's being open to taking that learning from those individuals so uh you know very fortunate enough to um report into craig jones um who is an absolute legend in this industry everybody <laughs> loves the guy I've said so much like, on his podcast, yeah. <laughs> um but but uh you know craig has so much to offer and so much knowledge to offer so it's really being open and listening to to him as an individual um you know through parkwood i had multiple managers which sounds like I was difficult to manage, but that wasn't the case at all. It was the nature. It was the nature of Parkwood and 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 uh, what kind of Parkwood's journey in the past couple of years and how they've uh, had to go through a few restructures. But through that, it meant exposure to various different people and various different people's leadership management style. Yeah. Um, up until my last one, Alex Godfrey, who. Um, I absolutely respect and taught me a ton about um, management and ownership and uh, a very different style of leadership that I had seen previously. Yeah. So, so it is about finding those elements within the people that you're working with. And sometimes that isn't the person that you're reporting into, but there may be other people within the organizations that you can find who's a mentor um, and, yeah. and identifying those individuals and working with them. And, and that mentor doesn't need to be for a long period of time too. It may be a small section within your career and, and you're looking at developing those skills and so you're identifying someone to do so. Have you always been open to that kind of feedback yeah. and that listening? Yeah, I like, Yes. <laughs> Even as a child, I don't think I wasn't like, I wasn't allowed to, to not. So my mom always gave me advice and my dad always gave me advice. And my dad, uh, you know, his career, my dad was a fighter pilot. Um, my dad actually won the Top Gun Award for, wow. <laughs> for, awesome. as a Canadian, which was impressive, and then ended up being, you know, a captain for Cathay Pacific. And so he always put a lot of energy and focus into his career and was very um, ambitious. And so I think that I always kind of looked up to that yeah. and uh, moved it forward. Um, and then one of my first jobs, uh, I worked with a woman, uh, Anita uh, Lawrence was her name, and uh, I think that she was really undervalued as an employee, but she had been in the leisure industry for 25 years by the time that I met her. 
And it was just listening. It was just getting those pieces of information of how to teach a child how to swim better. Um, she had so much knowledge to share. And I think that sometimes individuals were dismissive of her because she wasn't a senior member of staff. And, and I learned so much from her that ended up going through, I brought through my career. So loads of influences, if I can say that word, on your career so far from individuals and collectively. Um, have, have you, I guess you probably obviously would do, but taken those lessons from those people, how much has that shaped your style and then people who look up to you in that way now? Yeah, I think so. I think you take bits from all the individuals that you meet and kind of adapt it to fit into your own personality. Yeah. I think that if you try to mimic someone completely or their own management style, it's just not going to work. Um, so I'm also I've also done like a huge amount of reading, and then that reading then gets placed through, and you just kind of find your own style. Um, I think also your leadership style does change as you go on. I think that. Uh, earlier on when I was taking on managerial positions at times, maybe I thought that I had it to be a bit more forceful or, or directive where where now I only use that when I absolutely have to. <laughs> it's it's more friendly approach I think I try nice. to take for it. I think when you gain confidence in your ability, because I don't think anyone sitting in this chair will tell you that they have had confidence in their ability since the very start. 100%. I think that all of us at one point feel like when we take the next step, you're just kind of thrown into the deep end and it's that sink swim yeah. mentality. And so I think that as you go along, you do gain that confidence and then your leadership style reflects that confidence as well as you go through experiences because experiences feed into our leadership ability Absolutely. as well. So I think it's really important people hear that as well. Yeah. They look, somebody look at somebody who's a COA and think, oh my God, so it must have been just gradually, serenely passing through, yeah. but it's not like that, is it? It's not. It's not like that at all. It's, it's um, you know, we all talk about imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a massive thing with each and every single person. And if the person 100%. is telling you that they've never had imposter sy they're syndrome, lying. then they're lying or, or, or have, there's, I, there's I a different perspective it. going on. Yeah. Oh, completely, yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah. You said about books. Yes. Big fan of books as well. I know we've had this conversation away from this scenario yeah. before as well. Tell us about some of the, some of the books that have had either your favorite books or ones that have had particular influence on you. So, well, I'm going to do this in, in two parts. So one, that I would recommend to any of the listeners who are looking to get into business books, which are Patrick Leonsi okay. books. And his books are amazing, like entry into business books because they are based around fables. So they're really easy to either read or I used to listen to them uh, in the car. Um, because it's a story about an individual in a business. So it's not dry research. The research is thread through it, but, yeah. but it's really palatable. So anybody that's looking to start, I would go there. Um, one thing that I recently did is the very first business book that I read, which is called, I wrote it down. I'm really bad at remembering names. Uh, Turn the Ship Around. Um, I read it in university uh, as part of a leadership course and really identified with that book. I actually just picked it up again to reread, and what what I couldn't believe is is that book really did have an impact on how I've approached leadership, but it's how it's changed now to reread it 
after that after that long journey. Um, so, is it how you interpret what it says? It's completely different. Completely different from that first bit of like this is kind of I'm identifying that this is a similar type of leader of how I want to be to like now that I feel like I'm in a more leadership role and being able to pull in different elements of that book. Amazing. Yeah. Any uh, things that you listen to podcasts or anything else as well? Anything that you particularly think this can help shape people in terms of their careers or their journey? I mean, other than yours. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm not. I'm not a huge podcast listener, actually, at all. Anyways, yours is. Puff them. No, but yours <laughs> is the only podcast that I actively listen to, um, I know you do, and, you, and a couple so by like sports science ones by Neil deGrasse Tyson. So yeah. Well, <laughs> any, any conversation in the same breath as that man. <laughs> Let's move on to a bit of um, some, some uh, kind of nuts and bolts advice, almost. So, advice for businesses in terms of. Um, recruitment, how they can recruit better, maybe even how they can retain better. What advice would you give to hiring managers or businesses in terms of how they can recruit better for their teams? Yeah, it's a it's actually a hard question in our sector right now, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the differences that I've just gone through from jumping from Parkwood to uh, Good Boost. Yeah. And Parkwood and all of the leisure industry after COVID, we've gone through this huge deficit of individuals within the industry. And we have fallen into the trap of get someone in because we had to. And you know, in Parkwood, I oversaw swimming lessons. That income stream is directly related to someone being able to teach that. And so we did adapt in the sense that we offered up free training as part of that recruitment process. We tried to identify the benefits of working in that organization. But what we weren't able to do is bring in what our culture was and how that person fit within the culture because we were so desperate to get people in to just deliver the services for the communities that we needed to deliver. And I think that we we are on this cycle right now in the leisure industry and that makes things really difficult yeah um and also makes things difficult from a retention point of view because you're not necessarily finding individuals who really are passionate about that job flip to good boost <laughs> <laughs> and it's very ironic that we're having this conversation because i literally just went through a week of recruitment last week Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> tell us about it so um our approach at good boost is uh value set value is most important in order to come onto our organization and so our value is talked about often sometimes maybe a little too much <laughs> no not really but uh, we're, we talk about it at every team away we talk about it we bring it into our strategy and so when we go into recruitment um, those questions are tailored around those values to make sure that the individual is a good fit within our organization. Um, they definitely need to have the skills in order to do the job in, in the terms of, you know, when, it, when we're talking about tech or development or AI or, or some of those areas, they absolutely have to be able to yeah, develop yeah, an yeah, AI. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily, they don't need to have 20 years of experience doing so. We, we understand that they can gain that experience within our organization. It's more about the values and the fit rather than, yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, different than any organization that I've worked for. So the, the narrative piece ties in with that, not just in terms of being able to have an attitude that suits the right type of personality, but because it's a newish business, mm -hmm. to really get across what 
what the purpose of the business what is what its core ideology is yeah and i think that again that's a really interesting point because we are going from startup to a new to small business yeah. and we are rapidly expanding um we were written in uh the chief medical officer's report last week reported we were we've been in sports and game reports um we've picked up by ohid um so so it's expanding so quickly and we are having to bring on a large amount of resources in a short amount of time to do so but that culture is so important to us as an organization and to make sure that we're bringing in the right people who value the things that we value our our entire organization's ethos is based around co-design yeah co-design with the participants and co-design with the sectors that we work with so having individuals that continually love what they're doing and are looking outwardly to support these demographics to support these partners to be able to deliver this to the end user is so incredibly important to us that um it becomes the priority when we're looking at bringing on new people what what has the journey been like as a business to get to such a great recruitment process well i i'm fortunate that i've kind of come on at the tail end of that journey i just joined at the right time um uh but you know completely um completely am in awe of the individuals who work in our organization uh to bring it from you know through covid in at the time uh the offering was strictly around the pool yeah and and they completely adapted their offering to then include dry land in it um to be able to bring it up and move forward yeah i think it is it is a brave thing for businesses who actually it's only really not to the last place for everybody but particularly businesses who struggled in their recruitment or have come to the end of a cycle of a good process that has worked in the past <laughs> it's quite brave to look at it and go that's now obsolete we now have to do something different we work with various organizations Chloe spoke about it when she was here, about the time of work we did with them, really identifying what it is that they're looking for. What mm -hmm. is it about our product and our business that we need to go to market with to really talk about? And it, you almost have to go back to square one to establish what it is. Mm -hmm. We've had it internally here as well. We've had mm -hmm. to, we changed it two or three times in terms of how we recruit our people. Mm -hmm. And that's every time we've done it, we've kind of gone, ah, it's a new version, which is really yeah. good. And you get better and better each time. Yeah. Thank you, that was really good advice. Thank you for that. Um, flipping the other side in terms of the, to the individual. Mm -hmm. um, I love this podcast because it gives people who might be frustrated in their career or looking for a job or whatever it might be, some real tangible things they can latch onto. So in terms of maybe someone who's in, in a career, struggling to kick on, I know you gave some great advice earlier about <laughs> volunteering, putting your hand up and moving forward, but what advice would you give to people who may be slightly frustrated in terms of they're not really moving forward as quickly as they'd like? Yeah, I think I think it's doing things within your own job. Like I, it, yeah, it is going back back to that volunteering, putting your hands up, doing things within your own job, and looking around to see what else the business needs. Sometimes you need to paint out your own job as well. That that is a possibility. So if you're noticing something that could be more efficient, bringing that to you know your boss. But giving them the reasons why, and I think so often people bring things to their boss and they're like, there's a problem here. Bosses do not want, people in those decisions are getting problems all the time. Come to them with a solution first and don't even address it as the problem. Go to them and say, I've noticed we could do this and it will stop this. So reframe that question. And so 
every single person in every single job, I can guarantee you in their surrounding areas, there's something that they're noticing that could be done more efficiently. And I would say if you're getting really tired with that mundane day-to-day, nine to five or whatever it is for you, journey, start looking outwardly in your surrounding areas to see if there's something else you can latch on to and start to develop in order to move forward. Love that. Thank you. Um, how about people who are decided that they would need to move to another company to put themselves out there? So the first thing they do is start to look at their CV. <laughs> I guess the, but, uh, I love asking about this because it's quite such a contentious thing still. What's your view on a CV? And then what, what so, makes a good CV? I'm going to say something that every hiring person will say, well, maybe they won't say, but like when you like when you put out a job application and if you're doing the shortlisting yourself, you are now getting 200 applicants for that job. And so um, you just scan through like really, 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 really quickly. And so I think um, when my I, I hate CVs to be honest with you, <laughs> you they, I really I really do hate CVs. I hate writing them. Um, I get anxiety still if I have to write a CV. Um, I find them really difficult to do, as I'm sure most people out there do. But I think it's um, looking really trying to understand what that job description is asking of you, putting that up at the front because I'm not going to read four pages of your job description. <laughs> I'm going to read the current job that you're in because it's probably the most relevant. I will then scan down to see actually, did you just branch off briefly, but you've got something a little bit more relevant. Um, and, and then that's it. So, and use the same language that's in the job description. There is nothing wrong with literally taking out that language and putting it into your job description. Yeah. And there's so much technology out there. If you have anxiety about writing, use ChatGP. This isn't school. No one cares. <laughs> like, use the tools that's out there to make the process easier in order in order to move forward. I honestly, I think I, I think I may have mentioned in, in in my episode, it taking the time and caring enough about your CV to make it as individual as possible mm-hmm. for each role you're applying for matters and it counts. I know it's more time consuming. Yeah. I know it's harder. I know it makes it longer, but it's worthwhile doing. If you get a CV, there's suddenly, there's, as soon as you start reading it, you, you can find that synergy between the role you're looking for, mm-hmm. the person you're looking for, and that person's CV. You're, you're, you're the top of the path straight away. And, and not to mention that it depends on to the roles that you're going to, but organizations that have uh, software that actually analyzes the CVs, they're literally looking for those words. Yeah. That's how it's gone into the algorithm. So if you want to be pushed to the top, put those words in your CV. Yeah. And it's only going a certain way as well. Yeah. A lot of the, the, the CRM systems, that's exactly what you say, all of them have an AI attachment now, which throws up, is this CV the right one? They're not, yeah. they're not brilliant yet, but they will be, and they yeah. will get better and better. It's a really, that's the first time I've come up, that's really good advice, thank <laughs> you for that. Um, so the, you've updated your CV, even though you hate them, <laughs> yeah. the CV. Um, you've got the interview now, which is now talking about the interview process yeah. itself. Best advice you can give to people who are preparing for an interview? Oh, research the company. Yeah. Research the company, but don't just go on the website. So yeah. this, this, this actually used to drive me nuts um, in, in my previous role because there was umpteen articles about our swimming lessons, about our ethos. It was out there in the stratosphere. Go, go into further research just than going on the organization. And if you have just gone onto the website, say I've just gone onto the website, 
don't say you've researched the organization <laughs> because you actually haven't, but, but go through it. Um, the other thing I would suggest doing is take it with a pinch of salt, but go on Company House, like actually fully try Dove. to understand this. Um, and I also, on the flip side of that research, if you do go onto things like Glassdoor, also take with a pinch of salt that disgruntled employees may put things on there that... <laughs> <laughs> that's a very valid point. Last two adds a lot of value in a lot of ways, but that's a really valid point. Sometimes you just get discontent yeah. person who would do something like that. Yeah. Um, and interview itself. How do you, how do you shine in an interview? Be honest. Don't try to give the answers that the person thinks that they want to hear. Um, it's 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 about identifying you don't need to have all of the right answers and quite a lot of the times we're not actually looking for an answer itself we're looking to see how you respond how you react in certain situations and those types of things so just kind of be yourself which is really hard to do but <laughs> i don't often ask this question but this i thought it seems better than mine any any particular no-nos for you obviously yeah. you, you said about yeses but any no-nos yeah there's one that really <laughs> annoys me but i i think and i think that this annoys everyone when someone asks where would you like to be in like two three four five years time do not say your job <laughs> this because you don't know the person hiring. They may love their job, be really happy in their job, and not be looking to move upward or outwardly or anything. And the best piece of advice for actually that question is talk about your skill set. What skills do you want to develop in two, three, four, five years' time? Because what that recruitment person or what that hiring person will do is they'll make note of it. They'll say, that's excellent because actually I've got a project coming up in six months time and I need someone so there might be a synergy there so focus more on your skills rather and where they're gonna take you rather than I want to be in your job <laughs> it's a matter of times you, you kind of mm -hmm. hear that you mentioned earlier so I'm so sorry to, to flip back something so it ties in with that question as well you said about you obviously really recruited for that the person the culture mm -hmm. do you have a favorite question I'm putting the spot slightly almost a favorite question to find that in somebody I came up with this question in Fit for Sport, <laughs> and I have used it in almost every interview since, which is, if you were a sport, what sport would you be and why? Okay. And it is so interesting to hear um, people talk about they would be a team sport because they're a team player. People talk about the fact that they'd be an individual sport, or like skiing, and they like like the rush and and they really do identify their personality with various aspects about sports which gives you probably more you need to know than any other it's question a very in the instinctive answer that one isn't it yeah the, the, that some some things really come to your head and you have to you have to say that when it comes out yeah you have to justify but that's a really good question i like that um you have been um around a lot of senior people in your career so far and which way up and for all levels as well in terms of people at all levels that you deem to be good at what they do, good people, successful. Are there common traits? Are there common things that these people display, that they do, that they embody? Do you yeah, think? that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, passion. Passion is probably a common thread. Um, wanting to do things for the greater good that goes outside of themselves. Um, so that could be for that. their employee. That could be for the people that they're servicing. It could be for anything, but but I think that that is really crucial. Um, and and actually, just genuinely positive people. 
negativity creates a culture around you that breeds negativity and stumps innovation and productivity and all sorts of things. Positive people just absolutely exude that and make you want to share in that positivity. And, and I think it breeds productivity and everything else. That was a great answer to, to what you kindly said was a, was a good question. I could agree more. I'm not going to say anything else because I can completely agree more. If people listen to it again, rewind and listen to that <laughs> part again, that's brilliant. Um, as we start to wind down towards the, the last question or so, from everything you've covered so far, and there's so much in there, which has been brilliant, I've made loads of notes already. Um, if there's one thing, there's one thing that you'd want people to take away from your advice, either something you've already said, or because I'm not very good at what I do that I haven't asked you about, um, what, what, what piece of advice would you give to people? That everybody in an organization has value. And um, this is what I actually learned from that book. So sometimes go, talking down to the front level employees have nothing to do with your department, have nothing to do with your organization, to understand what's going on in their jobs, to start getting a better picture of what's going on within the organization. And then once you start, especially as a leader, once you start understanding what those challenges are, break down those challenges into quick fixes, medium solutions, long-term solutions. Focus on the quick fixes first. Get things done to show that that individual that you talk to, that they're being heard. Because that's all they want. They want to be heard, that their job is difficult, that they're noticing this, that they're witnessing this and they think it could be better. And then focus on the long-term solutions. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> to use Craig's, Craig's phrase. That was brilliant, thank you. Yeah. Um, I always do my three things at the end of each episode. That's without question one of them. Um, we always ask everybody, because we have great people on this podcast, who they would recommend to be a future guest on yeah. here, because we don't get more great people. Who would you recommend? Um, this, one, this one was a struggle for me, because I actually believe we're really blessed in this industry and work with a lot of incredibly people. passionate people. But I'm going to stick with women, and I've got two. Okay, you question. Okay. okay, one is Jackie Tillman okay. from Everyone Active. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is Rebecca Cox from Swim England and the IOS. She's the managing director of the IOS, I think, and Man. director of commercial. I don't know Swim either of those. That's wonderful. Like so, and Jackie Tillman used to be the, she's the director of aquatics and health and wellbeing at Everyone Active. Thank you. <laughs> Two new people I don't know, but for you to have mentioned them with that level of smile on your face while you said their names, that, that, that's a great thing. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've made notes personally in this episode, <laughs> which doesn't always happen as well. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Amazing advice. You. Love your career. Love your journey. And obviously, you know, I love hanging out with you. So thank you so much for doing that. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I, I generally loved recording it with Suzanne. I think she's, uh, I think she's amazing. Um, as usual, here are my three things. They're very much focused on her character. Um, the first one, how warm and generous and just outright brilliant Suzanne is. And I think you can get that in all the answers that came through and how, how energetic and brilliant she was um, in that conversation. My second point, I just loved the fact that how her career made sense. It wasn't all by design, but it made sense. It just shows what great decision-making uh, Suzanne made through her career and has continued to make through her career. And my last one is the point she made about being brave and being positive. Um, from someone who's known her for the amount of time I have, it's those are traits she lives and breathes. And I wanted to make a point of highlighting those 
Thanks very much for um, listening and hope you join us for the next Love Your Career conversation. This is the Love Your Career podcast. The point of this podcast is simple. Listen to leaders, their stories and improve your career.